HD2. It is Thursday night, which means it's time for Pop and Schlock Live, Yay. the show that examines pop culture and media from an analytical and critical lens. I am your host, Jay Goodson Dodd, uh, also known as Jake for brevity's sake. With me, as always, is my co host, Meredith. Say hello. Hello. And uh, I just want to start off the show by reminding everybody that we are in Pledge Drive. Uh, so um, this uh, radio station relies on uh, the support of our listeners. We are listener-supported. We do not take corporate endorsements. We do not have advertising. We are all supported by listeners. Um, all the quality programming that is produced at KPFT is done as a result of the funding that we get from the local community and the people who support us. Um, we wanted to let you guys know that uh, if you call in, there are many different options for how you can be rewarded for pledging to KPFT. Um, if you give us a call, uh, the number up here is, uh, where is it? Uh, 713. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, I had the number written down, but it's 713-526-KPFT. Uh, um, if you give us a call, you can talk to the people out in the lobby. They are so very, very helpful. Um, and they can walk you through uh, how you can pledge and what you can get rewarded with. You can also go online at kpft.org. And uh, there's a handy dandy little drop-down menu that can give you all the information that you could possibly need um, if you want to pledge that way. But we also want to talk about uh, a program here for the Pledge Drive that's called $5 Friday. And uh, basically what it, how it works is that if you pledge at least $5 a month as a sustainer to KPFT, uh, we will send you a pair of KPFT's new warm, comfy socks. Um, becoming yeah. a sustainer means you'll give KPFT a recurring monthly donation of the amount of your choosing until you tell us to stop. Uh, we can set it up uh, on a credit card, debit card, or via a direct withdrawal from your checking your savings account, however works best for you. This is the easiest way to continue your support for KPFT, and KPFT will show its appreciation with these beautiful socks. Um, if you haven't taken, if you haven't seen what they look like, um, there is uh, an image up on kpft.org. They are snazzy. They snazzy. are oh nice. I haven't seen them yet. Yeah, they've, uh, they have the KPFT logo on them. There's some uh, some radio waves. They are some nice socks. Ooh, I love nice socks. <laughs> I have lots. Of, I mean, I'm just wearing white socks today. So but. you need to pledge and replace those nasty grungy things on your feet right now, <laughs> Meredith. Um, you know what? That grime is from all the improv. <laughs> I literally sweat and slough off skin cells for my art. God. You're not doing anything to win over our audience. <laughs> anyway, um, we are we are uh, we are super excited uh, about uh, pledge about pledge season because we. Uh, we get to see exactly how much support this uh, studio has from the local uh, from the local community, and we also want to point out that there is a KPFT grab bag available. Um, it features an assortment of KPFT items randomly selected from our inventory of pledge gifts. Uh, this sale is limited, and only ten bags total will be given away to our listeners. If someone pledges for the grab bag, uh, there's a tally sheet on the wall that uh, we should be able to look at. But um, I am not running in and out of the studio right now. But uh, if you call up and uh, you can. Uh, uh, you can uh, pledge for that particular grab bag. I believe that the uh, the 
the donation is a $250 pledge. Um, call up, ask for the details. The guys in the lobby will be more than happy to give you the uh, give you the specifics. And while you're at it, too, make sure to let them know that it was Poppenschlock that sent you. But if for whatever reason you don't want to tell them that Poppenschlock sent you, we would also recommend that you tell them that Living Art or FM Rager or any of the other wonderful programs that you love and support. Yeah, but specifically mention that you heard about it on the HD2 stream because we're trying to get the word out about how wonderful the programming is on this side of the radio station. Uh, KPFT in total has some amazing programming on the FM side, on the HD side. Um, so hopefully it's not just us that you listen to, and it wouldn't just be us that you're supporting. You would be supporting the uh, you would be supporting the radio station at whole. We cannot continue to operate without your continued support. So again, um, if you would like to, you can go to the website KPFT kpft.org or you can give us a call at uh, 713-526-KPFT to make your donation today. So we're going to transition into our show for today, but before we do that, before we do that, before we do that, we want to wish a very special birthday to our resident science expert, Ryan Terry, who, as we speak, is probably at home screaming at rocks. Happy birthday! Yes, happy, happy birthday, birthday, Ryan! Ryan. We, we know that we give you all kinds of grief on this show about how you uh, want to pick apart the movie science, but that's also why we love you so much. You are like the nicest human that's ever existed. You are an integral part of this program, and I am working on your theme music, I promise. Oh. I have GarageBand queued up on a nightly basis, and as soon as I find something that is worthy of uh, the presence that you bring to this show, I promise we will debut it on air. Yeah, we, we think you're a cool guy. Totally a cool dude, Ryan, uh, and uh, can't wait to see you again. But tonight, we have a very, very, very special episode. Um, we are going to be looking at... Uh, well, I, I, how can I even put this? Um, we're going to be looking at the Hotel Transylvania franchise. And you may be asking yourself, that that's kind of a weird a weird pull for you guys. That's not necessarily in your wheelhouse. But um, you would be wrong. And also, it's because we have a very, very special guest in studio Yay! with us. Um, so, w would you like to introduce yourself to uh, the people listening at home? Yes, I'm Heather. Hi, Hi Heather. Heather. Welcome to the show. Yay! <laughs> Now, uh, Heather, as you might have been able to guess if you're listening at home or if you've seen on the live stream, is of the younger persuasion. Um, she is um, by far the youngest guest we have had on this show, um, unless you count my wife's emotional uh, <laughs> emotional age range. I love you, Tori. Um, She's also younger than Karina. Oh, yeah. Hi, Karina. Um, so we have somebody who is actually in the target audience for this movie, which is uh, which is something that normally we wouldn't be able to do, so we are so happy yes, to have you. Thank, thank you, you so for much. coming on the show. Yay. And Christy, you're here too. Hi. We got to show you some love as well. What's up? Thank you. Thank you. Feel, Nothing. Feel just, free to introduce yourself. Uh, here as Heather's mom. <laughs> well, let's let's kind of jump into it. Um, so, uh, Hotel Transylvania three came out a little bit earlier this year, um, and this is a film that. You know, I like watching animated films. Um, I try to catch most of them that come out because I, I feel like it's... I usually leave the theater feeling pretty entertained. Um, I usually feel a little bit better about myself than whenever I went in, uh, provided uh, it's not one of those animated films um, that kind of wreck my soul and make me, uh, like, 
walk out into the rain questioning why. Um, Tell us how you really feel about Angry Birds, Jake. <laughs> I was more referring to the Emoji Movie than Angry Birds, actually. But um, but this is this is not one of those films. Um, this is this is a film that I actually. It has a little bit more depth than I would have thought going into it. Um, I saw the first Hotel Transylvania movie when it came out, and uh, I think I skipped the second one in theaters. Um, but as a as a series, I find it interesting, and I find it to be of a higher quality than some uh, animated films that get turned into franchises. Cough, cars, cough. Um, uh, there's a little bit of depth here, and I want—I I just kind of want to open the floor to, you know, what was it that jumped out to you about the film that you want to get us started about talking about it? Um, I think it had a lot of comedic references. It really made the audience, if you went in the sleep, you'd wait, you'd leave really awake. It had a lot of uh, comedy in it. So, oh yeah, and speaking of comedy, it was very slapstick too. So there was good energy. I'm glad you brought that up because the first note that I wrote down while I was watching this movie was um, in the opening like ten or so minutes. Um, whenever uh, Dracula and his friends are getting chased by Abraham Van Helsing, I wrote down, "This is Looney Tunes," <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, yeah. the 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 animation style and the comedic styling of it reminded me very much of a Coyote Roadrunner cartoon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and that was always like one of my favorites growing up. I loved uh, Coyote Roadrunner. I loved Tom and Jerry. Um, that type of kind of slap. So I loved that that was how they opened the movie. And I found it, I found it just like you, I thought that the comedic elements of it really did work. And that's hard to do with an animated film whenever you are on the third one. By then, sometimes after three movies, it's like they've done everything that they could do with the premise. And I feel like that wasn't the case here. I feel like they really no. did a good job of making you still laugh and still care about these characters. Yes. I've also, and you know, Heather, we talked about this earlier. I'm a huge Jindy Tartakovsky fan. I grew up watching Dexter's Laboratory. Loved that good show. Sh good show. Oh, Dexter's, Dexter's Laboratory Lab. was fantastic. <laughs> Samurai Jack. So, Clone I, Wars. I never watched Clone Wars. Lots of things. <laughs> Lots of things, Jake. Would you like a laundry list? Because I, I got a list. I mean, I'm with her socks. I'll, yeah, I'll fill this full hour with nothing but Number what's one, wrong with me. The socks. <laughs> no, no, Jindy uh, Tartav uh, Tartakovsky is one of those. Whenever I think about animation, he's one of those people that. Um, I put him very high on the list as far as greatest of all time, as far as working in having an animation style and a storytelling style that really, really comes across as um, there's an identity to everything that he does that you can say, oh, I know for a fact that came from his mind. Well, I, I would also venture to say, since you brought up Looney Tunes, I think he's probably the most worthy successor there is to a Chuck Jones or a Tex Avery. Mm -hmm. Particularly in the way that the characters move. That was something that I noticed. Oh, that yeah. The way that Dracula moved was just pure Tartakovsky. The timing on, on everything, the way that the gags were structured, all of that was very Looney Tunes, but it was filtered through that Borscht Belt sensibilities that yeah. Tartakovsky... Smigel mm -hmm. and uh, Sandler bring, yeah. which we'll talk about later. I love yeah. And and it's it's funny because um, I'm not the world's biggest Adam Sandler fan. Um, I I like some of his movies and I dislike a lot of his movies. Um, but I felt like he worked so well here. His Dracula, his Drac was 
I, I, I just, something about it worked for me. The mannerisms coupled with the way that he put the voice acting into effect, I actually really enjoyed it. And mm -hmm. um, now, it's this isn't what I would consider to be one of those animated films that's high art, but it's funny. And oh, yeah. at the at the at the most basic level, um, I feel like that's what the movie was trying to do. Um, so I, I want to ask you this: Who was your favorite character in the in the franchise? I'll be honest. I think it was probably Invisible Man. Invisible yeah. Man. I think I think it's really <laughs> or or Blobby, but I think Invisible Man is cool because they made his glasses shape. To what he's feeling, he talking. and yeah. so it looks really funny because you see it's basically just glasses moving around, and then you hear a cool voice in the background. And it's and it's funny that you bring that up because th there's so much that that couldn't. There are times when that couldn't work, where it would be yeah. like, oh, there's there's no way to really get a sense of character because they're not there. But somehow they animated it in such a way that an invisible man has so much animated life and i thought that that was really interesting my my personal favorite uh character in the whole franchise is the wolfman um oh, yeah. played yes, by he's, steve buscemi yeah. he's, he's probably my favorite um i love that he just perpetually looked tired yeah <laughs> he just always looked like tired. parents yes yeah. and like like life had just beaten him down but then there was the scene in the car in the first one where all the sheep are in the way <laughs> and there was the, there's the cutaway or there's there's the, the the long gag where they're all sitting in the car and they're like oh there's sheep blocking the way and the you know, wolfman take care of them so he leaves <laughs> comes back and he's he's like covered in in sheep uh and wool and uh and they're like oh, that's gross it's like and it was great like you just you don't see it happening but you know exactly all, what wolf, it's, all yeah, it's all implied it was wonderful and one, one of my favorite uh one of my favorite wolfman gags in in three was when they drop off the kids at the daycare <laughs> Oh my gosh, that was good. and and the fish is like you get them back at the end of the day. <laughs> oh yeah, I, it, that was it was just such a great little gag. Uh -huh. I and this is a series that's filled with great little gags like that. Um, and one of the things that I appreciated about the series is that I feel like it's kind of on the same level, at least. Um, comedically and emotionally speaking as something like uh, the Despicable Me movies. Um, but not quite as annoying because there aren't minions. <laughs> the minions are cute. What are you talking about? I like about? bananas too, you know. Oh. <laughs> my, my favorite gag on the entire series, though, is uh, in the second movie where they're trying to pass off Jonathan as a vampire because <laughs> Vlad would not approve of uh mavis marrying a human and when he shows up to the party where vlad was invited he is dressed like the gary oldman dracula <laughs> <laughs> and that that's i mean and that's, it was amazing and that's a great gag because people like you and i we're gonna get that but i don't know how many people in the target audience for this film have seen like other <laughs> yeah. uh, right. francis ford coppola's but, dracula but you don't have to know that for the joke to work because no, there's no, also a, because because dracula takes one look at him and goes that is not what vampires look like your hair looks like a baboon's but <laughs> so it works it works for people that have seen the movie and not because you get a good baboons butt joke out of it because that's what his hair did look like in that movie <laughs> right right and it's it's funny because um i want to go back to the voice acting in this um i feel like there's 
there's something that really works for me anytime you have uh, Adam Sandler and Andy Samberg interacting. And I don't think there there are very few people I think that are as suited to an over the top cartoony voice acting role as someone like Andy Samberg. He is he was phenomenal in these movies. Um, and it's funny because one of the only Adam Sandler movies that I actually have laughed at recently, um, and I'm talking like in the last decade, um, and it's it's a terrible movie and I hate to admit it, but that's my boy. The, inter- <laughs> the interactions between those two were hilarious. They play off of each other extremely well. And it's so unfortunate that the plot was the plot. Yeah, I, like the plot is terrible and all kinds of wrong, but their interplay really, really worked. And I think that, you know, uh, a lot of people give Adam Sandler a lot of criticism for the fact that his movies are basically just friends hanging out. That seems to be a lot of the criticism that he gets. And I think that that's a fair criticism in some of those live action films. But here, it feels like it works a little bit better because they are actively trying to portray characters rather than themselves. Mm. Because I felt like ev- I felt like the voices are recognizable. Everybody's recognizable for yeah. their voice, but they're still playing characters, and they play them in such a way, and they're so playful with it, with it that um, you really start to you really start to see beyond the um, the voice actor who's portraying them. I know there's been a lot of uh, a lot of argument about in the. Um, in the voice acting community about these movies that utilize big brain uh, brand name actors to come in and portray characters because it's more about you know selling the name than it is trying to provide nuance in the character um we got a lot of that uh whenever the madagascar series was really big people complaining it's like oh that's just chris rock being chris rock and i never got the feeling in any of the hotel transylvania movies that's like oh that's just adam sandler being adam sandler oh that's just andy sandberg being andy sandberg the only time that adam sandler was adam sandlering is when they were making fun of him adam sandlering when the third one with the babbling yeah they they mistook it for transylvanian so they so yeah they had they had Adam Sandler doing the Adam Sandler thing, but then they actually were able to turn it into a joke that fit the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it was perfect. Yeah, oh, yeah. there's there's perfect. so much there's so much to like here, um, and I think that you kind of have to put aside um, cynicism. Like you have to like push that pessimistic side of your brain away and just embrace the movie for what it is, um, because I feel like we've been spoiled um, by Pixar movies. I feel like Pixar kind of ruined the ability of people to just go in and watch an animated comedy for being an animated comedy. Not everything needs to be shooting for an Academy Award. And I was thoroughly entertained by these movies in a way that maybe those uh, those Pixar movies aren't able to entertain me because I'm so busy like looking at the nuance of the animation or looking at the like how did they go from like I know when we were when we watched The Incredibles 2 mm-hmm. I was so blown away by the technical aspect of it that I really kind of was not able to engage with it on a story level and I had to go back and actually think about it to want to figure out if I liked it or not whereas whenever I was done watching the Hotel Transylvania movies I'm like yeah that was cute I liked it I'd watch it again uh, but speaking of animation though I, I was blown away by the way that they were able to do the water in the third one that water looked real oh, oh yes for sure and the Kraken fight mm-hmm. the Kraken fight was so well done 
Oh, I loved that. That was fun. It was, it's, it was a fun. It was a fun movie, and it's like the um the the bitter old like cranky pants version of me. Like, of course, there's probably things that I could <laughs> complain about, like the fact that it's the year 2018. Did we did we really center an entire montage around Gangnam Style? It was Macarena. Was it? Yeah. They did the they defeated the Kraken with the Macarena. No, I'm am t- talking about when um when Catherine Hahn's character is trying to kill um Drac on the boat earlier in the film. Oh, was that Gangnam Style? Yes, know. it was. Oh, I've already forgotten that song. I, I feel like I feel like it was, or was, or am I misremembering it? I don't know. I know that the they de- like I said they defeated the Kraken with the power of the Macarena. Well, I mean that's the only way that you know how to defeat a Kraken. Like that's just <laughs> logic. Like the, I mean I know it's a children's film, but you've got to stay logical. Um, so I mean there's that. Um, but uh, honestly, there's not a whole lot to dislike about the film if all you're doing is going in for um, something to leave you entertained and. The one thing, like, I keep going back to the characters. I keep going back and saying, I like these characters, which is not something that I can say about every animated film I've ever seen. Um, Like, I was so detached from the characters by the third Despicable Me that I was just kind of bored. Whereas I, I was never bored here, which is really kind of kind of amazing whenever you get to the third film in any given movie series. I actually like the third one better than the second one. Uh, which, funny enough, um, Adam Sandler wrote the second one, and you mentioned the hangout sensibilities, and I thought that that was the most present in the second one, which I thought was fine. Like, I didn't hate the second one. I loved it. I, I loved all three of these movies. I thought they were super cute. I had been meaning to see them for a while because I loved Gindy Tartakovsky, but I had not seen it until we'd talked about doing this episode. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no, I, I had so much fun, but I think that the third one's my favorite. There are a lot of Yeah, I think the third one's probably my favorite. They made a lot of things interesting in it, too, like um, Monster Ball. Instead of just playing regular volleyball, they actually made the ball living, Mm -hmm. which was really funny because you just saw the ball freaking out, scared. And I I loved... uh, There were were a lot of little touches to the animation that kind of helped (laughs) build the world that I really liked. Um, I... Uh, one of my favorite parts of Hotel Transylvania 3 was the Goblin Airline or the Gremlin Airline. I loved the Gremlins so much. Um, I, I, it's, I don't know what it was about that particular sequence, but it worked. It, it really, really worked for me. And I loved, um, going back to the character work, I loved neurotic. I can't settle down. Please tell me where we're going, Dracula. <laughs> yes. Like, he just couldn't relax. Right. And, and we're getting to that point where Adam Sandler is now at an age where it's like, okay, he can transition into playing the cranky old dude and it works. Oh, yeah. Because, too. I mean, oh, wow. I, in, in my mind, because um, time doesn't work in a linear fashion, he's always going to be Billy Madison. He's always going to be in that state of arrested development. But now <laughs> we've reached that natural sort of progression where it's like okay adam sandler is getting older he is aging into certain roles Uh, and i think it started a few years ago whenever he uh whenever he put out funny people i feel like that was kind of the start of this like this different stage of who adam sandler is and of course there's still that element of him that it's like "Ah, i'm gonna i'm gonna do funny voices like i'm 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 gonna be blibbity blabbity wacky Um, and my, that, that was, was a great guy. Oh, yeah. Blah, blah. Oh, that yeah. was that was my. It's like, did he actually? 
actually just say blah blah blah? I do not say blah blah blah. Stop <laughs> trying to say blah blah blah. I and and it's it's funny because uh, a lot of people would kind of argue like I, I feel like people forget that this is a that this is a franchise. Um, I feel like people forget that this is a thing that's out there. It doesn't see. It's doesn't. It's not like a. Uh, it's not a global moneymaker like your like your minions type thing. But it's so enjoyable, and I can see this being one of those things that makes it into my regular Halloween rotation. Um, right now, like my regular Halloween rotation is mostly just original Scooby Doo, Hanna Barbera stuff. Um, that's like usually what I go back to. I watch Scooby Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf. And Scooby Doo meet the Boo Brothers every Halloween. Those are my two, my big two. Uh, for my wife, it's uh, Scooby Doo on Zombie Island. That's that's hers. Um, but I can see this working my working its way into my rotation just because it's so enjoyable. Um, and again, the animation style. It was just fun to watch. It was fun to look at. Meredith brought up how realistic the water effects were, but like we go back to Jendi Tartakovsky's uh, just the design. It was so fun to watch. I loved the design of the ship. I loved the design of the monsters. It was eye-catching and it was vibrant and I really appreciated that. Our whole family sat around together and just watched it and we just laughed. I mean, it was it was just entertaining and to have it two adults, a 12-year-old and a 15-year almost 16 one month away, all just sitting there enjoying it, you know. Yeah, and that's I, I feel like that that's a testament to how good the movie is <laughs> is um there's a big difference between, in my mind at least, there's a big difference between children's movies mm -hmm. and family movies. Mm -hmm. um, and a, a good family movie, you should be able to sit down with your family and regardless of your age range, somebody should find something to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like Hotel Transylvania really fits that family movie yes. mode, um, whereas uh, some, other, some other films will fall more firmly into that children's category. And I could see somebody who's in high school still appreciating and liking this movie. Speaking of stuff that falls into the children's category, Though I'm still a sucker for Monster High, because oh. <laughs> I love any any well done family or children's horror that where it's made by people who obviously love horror, <clears throat> mm -hmm. because Monster High gives a lot of really good winks and nods toward people who watch horror that's not just uh, so so. One of my best one of my favorite examples was. Um, the Phantom of the Opera's daughter, whenever she shows up, they play the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. They always play the Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, there's the fact that Cleopatra is dating a snake man. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely not, you know, that's, that's, an, a that's a history joke, you know. And um, I, I like when they are able to sprinkle in things. Or, for example, when we brought up earlier, um, Jonathan dressed like the Gary Oldman Dracula. Mm -hmm. Little notes like that. I'm a sucker for these kinds of things. And, like I said, I... I love me some Monster High. Yeah. It's super cute. And I, I love that it's obvious. It's, it's very lovingly crafted by people who like horror and enjoy it. They're not just kind of being like, well, I don't really want to work in this medium, but I don't know. It's, the, it's really lovingly crafted. And you can see that in the way that it's written, in the way that it's structured, the way it's animated. They take so, a lot of things and they kind of like... They add in things that aren't necessary, but they make it extra funny, like the Gremlin Airlines. Yeah. Whenever to... um descend they just knock out the engine with yeah. the hammer yeah. and, oh, and, oh and and that's um and that's a reference to twilight zone 
Oh, no, yeah. It was, yeah, it was very much a, a reference to the gremlins on the wing in the Twilight Zone. And also, again, Looney Tunes, the gremlins from mm -hmm. Looney Tunes. Um, but she never saw any but, of that. Yeah, still but, it was but, funny. For, right, but for yeah. someone like you, you picked up on the, the, the comedy in these gremlins not doing things in a traditional way. So you still understood the humor without giving, getting like the history behind it. Yes, and they also, whenever they landed, they landed in the Bermuda Triangle, mm -hmm. which was just a triangle with just boats stacked yeah, up. Yeah, I love that. Like there was, was no, great. there was almost no point to it, but it was really funny. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. uh, my one of my favorite bits in that Gremlin airline, uh, that Gremlin airline section is after they knock out the, uh, they knock out the engine and they're in their descent and it cuts to the cockpit and they're just having this blasé conversation. Yeah. Like, oh this yeah. Is their everyday life. It's like what? It's like what are you doing on the weekend, Jim? And <laughs> and, it, and it worked so so well for me. And mm -hmm. there there are little moments like that that it's just like. Okay, it hits all the right comedic buttons, but like Meredith said, there were things that were that I appreciated because I grew up loving classic horror movies. Like I have all of the original, the Universal monsters, like um, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Bride of Dra uh, Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula. Those things, I love those movies. I love the the Bela Lugosi, the uh, the Lon Chaney era, like monsters. So this movie if you grew up watching those films kind of works for you because it builds off of that long rich history and for people who are the younger generation this might be a gateway into like well i'd like to see where those characters came from i'd like to like go back and watch those old classic movies so that maybe i can have a different appreciation for um for this this modern interpretation i like frankenstein slowly getting over his fear of fire yeah, the yeah the the, uh, the the when the fireworks go off, Frank, fire bad. Remember, yeah. <laughs> oh, I I uh, I love the I love the interplay. I also loved um, again if we're talking about voice acting, uh, Tara Strong as uh, the arm cousin twice removed. <laughs> I was thinking that same thing. I I love I love the double the double oh, wordplay of the. <laughs> The wordplay of uh, the twice removed, like the arm has been removed yeah. twice. <laughs> oh, and and I I loved the um I loved when Dra it's it's such a simple comedic setup, but uh, Drax's phone not being able to understand his accent. <laughs> I understand you want baloney. Like <laughs> it's it was little things like that, which you're like oh hardy har har. But it works. It works so well, especially in the context of the film. And I love whenever he was video chatting with uh, the witch. He's like, I'm not here to play games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to jade you unless my cat's a blue. <laughs> it was... There's, uh, there's, there's, so much, there's so much to enjoy in a film like this, and uh, we'll jump back to talking about it here in a few minutes, but I want to interject and once again bring up uh, the fact that you are listening to KPFT HD2. I want to thank everybody for listening, but I want to remind everybody once again that we are in Pledge Drive. Um, our radio station cannot survive and thrive without the support of listeners out there, uh, listeners who tune in on a regular basis, listeners who want the quality programming that we bring and and uh, our cohorts bring on this radio.
radio station on a regular basis. Um, there are many uh, pledge packages that you can get for pledging donations to the station. Um, you can always give us a call. Um, the number to the lobby is 713-526-5738. That's 713-526-KPFT. Or you can go to kpft.org and uh, click the Donate Now button, and it will give you a handy-dandy drop-down menu that can show you all of your available options. There's so much that uh, you can get in turn for pledging and keeping this radio station alive and thriving. Um, once again, we want to thank you for supporting us, for supporting Pop and Schlock Live, for, for supporting our friends here at KPFT, whether you listen to um, our buddies over at Evan Rager, um, the people over at Living Art, if you're a fan of Progressive Forum, People's News. the People's <laughs> News, um, Irish Airs, whatever you listen to, we thank you for your continued support. There are so many different ways that you can help us out. Please call and pledge. It would really mean the world to this radio station and to us personally. Uh, once again, we want to thank you. Um, and if you're just now tuning in, uh, this is Pop and Schlock Live. We are a program that looks at pop culture and media through an analytical and critical lens. And today we are talking about the Hotel Transylvania franchise with um, one of the wee ones who, uh, who, who would be considered the target audience. And one of the things that we keep talking about is that... Um, this is a film that very heavily leans into being a comedy before anything else. And I believe that that is why it is such a successful film. Um, and one of the things that makes it such a good comedy is its reliance on characters and building those characters. And for someone uh, like our young guest... Um, they appreciate the fact that, like, you can attach to those characters. You immediately, when I asked you, who's your favorite character, you're like, well, I can tell you that in this movie, my favorite character, would, like, you knew you could jump right in. Yes. And that's how you know that it's a good film. And then there's stuff like for me and Meredith where um, we get a little like we get attracted to the fact that it's like oh my god it's Mel Brooks playing Adam Sandler's dad in yeah. a in an animated comedy like and this Jindy is Tartikovsky. and it's Jindy Tartakovsky like playing in a different sandbox there's there's so much really to like here um, and I know that you know I keep harping on that this is it's a really effective comedy but Meredith wanted to bring something up and that it goes a little bit deeper <laughs> about how for those of us who uh, are like entrenched in socio-political theory and film history that there's a lot to kind of jump into yeah and this is something that Christy uh, you know you're a you're a sub, uh, social studies teacher so this is something that Christy and I had discussed prior to the show but the Gindy Tartakovsky's background is that he is a he, he was born in the Soviet Union and his family left when he was seven for the United States because of all the anti-Semitism that they experienced while living there. And the the involvement of Adam Sandler, who is a relatively devout Jewish man and very proud of the fact uh, Mel Brooks, obviously. Uh, is a famous Jewish comedian, Andy Samberg, who is more of like the uh, kind of a more contemporary Jewish comedian. Uh, Fran Drescher mm -hmm. has a part in it as well. Uh, is that whether or not this was... Oh, and Robert Smigel, who was a writer on the first two movies. A lot of this movie, if you if you look at the background of... Tartakovsky, as well as the the cast that he deliberately chose, is how often people can, and a lot of critics, it's not just myself, this is, several people notice this, but it's, especially the first movie, is a, is a metaphor for anti-Semitism. 
the fact that the monsters were alienated, that they were worried about leaving their home and leaving their communities because they would they were afraid of being killed, mm -hmm. that they were misunderstood, that they were seen as these violent, horrible creatures when they were they just wanted to be left alone and have their own lives. And there's little bits, uh, obviously, of, of Jewish culture that are thrown in there. We, we talked about the gag about uh, monster, what was it? No, monster, uh, ball monster ball soup. <laughs> yeah, where it's, it's matzo ball soup, but the, it's made with little monsters that are screaming. And Who ate the spoon? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> ate the spoon. And um, so, we, you know, we, you had talked about how you were going to use it. Kind of go into that, how you plan yeah. to kind of use it in the classroom sure. to, to teach that, that lesson. Well, hi, fifth grade class. Um, <laughs> well, I just thought, you know, I'd bring it up to them because there's so much in history to look at. Right. At that. And um, I don't know what else to say about that. Yeah, well, just, I mean, as, as someone who was a history minor in college, I could see how, and as someone who is an English teacher now, I could see how using a film like this would help people to better understand. Because one of the things that, because um, I work with all different uh, levels of students in high school, um, one of the things that I've come to understand is that in order to build understanding, the best way that you can do that is to utilize connections that are already there. Making connections. Uh, yeah, yes. because yes. Uh, it's it's like I was. Uh, we were reading in my English class today. We were reading a uh, a piece uh, called uh, the Fan Club. I don't know if you're familiar with the story mm -hmm. um, but there is uh, there's a character named Rachel in this and one of my one of my kids we were doing a characterization exercise where we're trying to figure out how do you assign character traits to somebody and one of my kids goes that girl reminds me of Helga from Hey Arnold and I'm like that is not the most academic reference I have ever heard but if it helps you to understand that makes me happy so right. if we can use something like Hotel Transylvania to help people understand the history behind like Jewish migration or Jewish per uh, persecution or anti-Semitism. I think that that's a worthwhile endeavor. Right, and it also puts Dracula's overprotectiveness uh, overprotectiveness into a context that's more than just well, your mom died. Oh, yeah. It's not just right. your mom didn't. Her mom didn't just die. Her <clears throat> mom died because of persecution mm -hmm. against you know. And and Dracula explicitly says in the beginning that he doesn't want to hurt humans. He he drinks synthetic blood. That that, right, that, that question is answered very actually. very easily. Notice that at no point either does he ever offer to make Jonathan or Erica immortal. Yeah. To spend time with the rest of their like they there seems to be an understanding that humans have a different lifespan and that the humans in their lives are going to die yeah. at some point, but they don't want to change what they are and change who they are right they, they want to keep being monsters but they're okay with and but then the old stereotypes that you want to turn us all into monsters or kill us and it, it there's a different layer to that paranoia when you see it the fact that it also explicitly takes place in uh hungary as well because they're always like look over there it's budapest mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh you know I, I mean i know that it's transylvania but at the same time they, they also seem to make reference to it being hungry yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, actually. which I thought Transylvania is in Romania, right? I think so. I'm pretty I, sure it is. His, history, history minor, not uh, geography. Gotcha. <laughs> well, it's kind of the same thing. So <laughs> that's not even close. Uh, but I also feel like because of this context, I don't know if the metaphor works if you're going to apply it to any other marginalized group. I feel like no, this is this is an, this explicit, is an explicitly, explicitly Jewish, Jewish story, story. Mm -hmm. which is basically just because of who wrote it, who starred in it. It's you can tell that um, I feel like 
there is a sense of ownership from Adam Sandler and from Jindy Tartakovsky with this film that it feels even though it's even though it's very much a broad comedy there's an ownership on their part Mm -hmm. where they're like i'm so proud of this film and i can see why like this is a film series that um like if i think about uh animated films that go beyond just one um it's very very hard to maintain that sense of quality across three movies true and i liked all three yeah I mean, you don't see that. I will not say that about very many movies at all. And not only um, that, but the third one was, was probably my favorite. Yeah. I loved how they they used everyday electronics and they, mm-hmm. you know, in the very, the first movie, it was nothing. It was like a, it was the hotel. I mean, they, yeah, it was isolated. Yeah. And then as they, I mean, he even was on that little dating app, you yeah. know? <laughs> Oh, I love that. That was so funny. Yeah, I, I love the monster dating app. Yeah. They really seem to build up the characters, just how Frankenstein, along with slowly getting over fire in the mm-hmm. first movie, he's shipped to the hotel in a box, mm-hmm. in yeah. several <laughs> different boxes. In pieces. Yes, and that's so funny to me. Yeah, so. yeah they, they did do a good job of building up the characters to the point that, I mean, one of the things that's important about any movie is that you have to care about the characters. And I did. Like, I, I cared about what happened to Drag. I cared about what happened to all of those characters. I was I was emotionally invested. Whereas, uh, I feel like a lot of characters tend to wear out their welcome. Uh, especially whenever you have a long-running franchise. Like, by the third one, you're like, okay, I know, I've, like, I get it. <laughs> you know? But with this one, I'm, I, I legitimately cared about what happened with Drag. I was emotionally invested, which, like I said, that, that doesn't happen all the time. Whether it's a uh, an animated film or otherwise. Right. Um... I mean, there are you know as much as I love uh, as much as I love Marvel movies, um, I'm having I'm having trouble investing. Like I, I loved Ant Man and the Wasp mm-hmm. so 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 very much. Like it was uh, I really enjoyed that movie. I'm having a hard time picturing being invested in a third installment of just those characters. Um, like I feel like they hit a wall. Whereas honestly, I feel like you could probably do another Hotel Transylvania and I'd go buy a ticket. Yeah. Although I would buy a, I would buy a ticket for a fourth Thor movie if Watiti was involved. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll follow Chris Hemsworth to the end of the earth just so that uh, just so that um, I can get to him before my wife. Um, <laughs> hi, Tori. Um, hi, Tori. <laughs> so, um, I want I, I want to talk about uh, I, I want to talk about things that we noticed that maybe we haven't talked about a little bit yet. Um, is there? Was there anything about maybe the earlier movies that um, that stood out to you that we haven't really talked about? Because um, I feel like uh, I feel like the only ones that kind of stand out to me are the first one and the third one. Like for some reason in my mind, I go blank when I try to think about Hotel Transylvania too. Was was that just me, or do you feel like that was a weak a weak film as well, or did you? I feel like Hotel Transylvania two had less excitement in it there's like in the first one it's talking a lot about battle it's like um there's the conflict between monsters and humans and then the second one there was a semi-battle in the end um but it, it didn't have as much action as the rest did okay i actually agree with you there i feel like um i feel like a lot and one of the things that, and this leads back again to what I've been doing in the classroom all week, um, is the idea of internal and external conflict. Um, and I feel like all of the films do a really good job about addressing the internal conflict with the characters, but I feel like one and three do a bigger job, a better job of leading up to that end of the movie 
climax, that big huzzah moment. And I feel like that wasn't as prevalent in two. So I like I actually really agree with you on that. Um, in that maybe it was it didn't have as much of a payoff. Like it doesn't it didn't feel as am I wrong in feeling like it didn't feel as important as the first and third one? No, I think it was less important. Um Blobby was more funny in the second. Oh yeah. I think <laughs> Yeah, we we keep going back Blobby. to Blobby, who's an amazing character, oh, yeah. who has some like uh, you were talking before we went on air about some of your favorite Blobby jokes. Yeah, even in um in the third movie, she was trying to kill Dracula and she shot a flare gun at him. That and was a great one. Blobby <laughs> just flies up in the air, explodes and lands right back in one place and dancing. He keeps dancing. <laughs> he keeps dancing. He doesn't miss a beat. He just continues on. And uh, and then the boat that flies overboard mm-hmm. just dancing. And it's, it's one of those things where uh, I, lo- I loved Hotel Transylvania 3 but the thing that makes it my favorite is uh, Mr. Tinkles. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, my favorite, like, I'm sorry, but all of my favorite jokes in Hotel Transylvania 3 are largely related to Mr. Tinkles. Um, I am not ashamed to say that when they put the the giant trench coat and the hat on him and try to sneak him onto the boat, because there's a no pets allowed sign, when they sneak him onto the boat and they, they walk him past the Mater D fish and they're like, uh... This is Bob. Say hi, Bob. And hi, hi, Bob. Bob. And <laughs> I should have seen it coming because I've seen comedies before. Right. But for some reason, it worked. And the it's thing the that, way the th- he says it's it. the way he says it, and it's the fact that in no way, shape, or form do they explain the joke. Yeah. They just right. let it go, and <laughs> yeah. I loved it it's, so much. They also uh, the the maitre D is a Chris Parnell fish. Which is oh, yeah, Chris the Chris Parnell fish, you know, that that's got human feet and the top is a is a fish. So they're they're like reverse mermaids. And also they're voiced by Chris Parnell, who we have championed so often on this show because he's just so good at voice acting. But um it was also the expression on the fish's face too. After he hears the high bob, he just stands there like, like and mind you, he stands like an actual fish, just like so the eyes are pointing and it's it's it's, it's the, not it's not like an anthropomorphized fish. It's, it's literally looking like a fish. It's but, a similar comedic tactic. They do the same um, with, excuse me, the fish on SpongeBob SquarePants, where they have them in that profile view, and it, it's there's something about the lack of humanization to it that works so so very well right and he just stands there with his mouth open and because he looks like a regular like sideways fish person it looks like and it just, i just died at the end of that high bob sequence and <laughs> and he's also the voice of the daycare center worker yeah well like he he pulled multi he pulled multiple duty the whole way through this film and he's he's one of those voice actors that anytime he pops up as a voice actor i am i love that character um uh, I love him in Archer. He's mm-hmm. so good in that. Um, but my favorite Chris Parnell character of all time will forever be Dr. Leo Spichemin. <laughs> yeah. I I love Dr. Leo Spichemin so much, and it's because and he's he had so many great lines on that show that I use. Um, one of one of my good friends at work found out this this uh, this year that um that he is diabetic, and so I I used the the Doctor Spichemin line of I'm not sure how to pronounce this diabetes, and like. It, oh, I, 
uh, Chris Parnell is a uh, is an underrated comedic talent. He he is the only reason why Jerry Smith is such an, a, a fun to watch character because I think if you got anyone who wasn't nearly as good at voice acting to voice it, that character would bomb so hard. I I, I do not disagree in the slightest. Um, and th- I want to go back to that. Um, I like. I, like I said, I have mixed feelings on Adam Sandler, but I can't really picture anybody else voicing this version of Dracula. Can you? No. No, it's, no. it just he felt... He was perfect. He was so perfect. And it's uh, it's funny because um, I feel like one of the biggest missed opportunities in the history of movies was um, when Quentin Tarantino wrote Inglorious Bastards, he wrote the Eli Roth role for Adam Sandler. That was supposed oh. to be Adam Sandler. And... I want to travel to the alternate universe where he got to play that role it. because it would have been so different. <laughs> I when people are outside of our our studio like trying to throw me off my off my groove, it's just <laughs> yeah, and and nobody else sees it, so it's just me feeling like I'm yeah, going I don't insane. See it. Yeah, he he walked. Did Don he, pass by? No, it, it wasn't Don, but he he walked into the hey there, there you go <laughs> hey hey oh, um. Gosh, no. So, yeah, so I'm not crazy. It's just, uh, but yeah, I, it's, it's funny. I, I like being pleasantly surprised by movies. Um, it doesn't happen that often where I see it, where I walk into a movie and end up liking it more than I thought I would. Cause I'm getting pretty good at guessing whether I'm going to like something or not based off of the preview. Yeah. That's kind of how we, we choose the movies that we, we choose for this show. Not going to lie. That's exactly what we do. Yeah. No, we don't want to dislike movies. We're not here to tear things apart. Even Venom was surprising in a lot of interesting ways. Like, I'm still laughing over that lobster scene. The fact that the lobster scene was all Tom Hardy's idea makes it so much better because I'm like, that is an acting choice. And the thing is, the lobster tank wasn't big enough for him originally. They had to build (laughs) a bigger lobster tank because Tom Hardy's like, I really want to get in that lobster tank. And you don't say no to Tom Hardy. Um, so, (laughs) so, um, so I like being pleasantly surprised and Hotel Transylvania, like I said, I didn't expect it to be a series that now, you know, if you look at it as a whole, if you look at all three movies together, it's a really good series. Mm -hmm. Like normally like snobby me wouldn't be the first person to say that, but I really enjoyed it as a series. Um, even if like you and I agree that Hotel Transylvania two is the weakest one. As a whole, all together, I really enjoy all the movies. For the third movie, I think they kind of went out on a branch making the octopus kind of a secret weapon, just mm-hmm. controlled yeah. by a song, Yeah, yeah. which is really interesting. And how they resolved it just by playing the Macarena was yeah. just <laughs> flat out just out of the box. Yeah, I mean, it was, I, like you said, um, I think that Hotel Transylvania 3 had a more satisfying ending. Because they did build to that, and not only that, they thought outside of the box. They did something different. That's not something that you would see in, you know, just any run-of-the-mill animated movie. I- I'm glad that the Kraken lived, because I loved that character so much. There the are Kraken th- was so great. Well, the thing is, in this film, th- are there any characters that anyone didn't like? Mm-mm. Not no. really. Also, I loved that Drax saved... Uh, Abraham Van Helsing in the end. Abraham Van Helsing was such a great visual. I know yeah. that I know that you disagree about Jim well, Gaffigan voicing I, the character, yeah. but as a visual, that was such classic Tartakovsky. Like that's that's a grotesquerie that you would have seen on Dexter's Lab. Yeah, it felt <laughs> back very, in the day. It felt very Dexter's Lab, and I, I guess um, I couldn't. 
with the rest of the characters, I could kind of put the actors out of my mind. But every time I saw Van Helsing, I saw Jim Gaffigan. Like there was there was no disconnect between the two characters. Mm. It felt a little bit too like oh yeah that's a that's a Gaffigan character. And maybe it's because Gaffigan tends to utilize manipulation of voice on stage that I couldn't put that out of my mind. Mm. But it was just it was just a little bit too much for me. Well, see, and like I said, my my go to for Jim Gaffigan doing voiceover work is always when he voiced Conan O'Brien in yeah. Pale Force. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, this was, was great. Yeah. Uh, so underrated classic. So we are almost out of time. Oh is, no! Is there anything that we haven't talked about that we need to? Oh, one more thing about Blobby. Um, I yes. love. Yes. One more thing about Blobby. I loved whenever he threw up and it just turned, <laughs> yes. and he just turned into a little character, and then w later whenever the um, the the mini Blobby's balloon popped. He just pulled out a Piece chunk and, tur <laughs> and turned him into a dog. Yes! <laughs> he just started playing. Classic Blobby. I feel I feel like okay. if if we if we uh, if we have to be honest, Blobby is like one of the MVPs of the series. Yes. yes. In terms of like just pure comedic gold, Blobby was definitely up there. And before the show, we talked about how in uh, Hotel Transylvania Two, he. They were driving, and all the branches were just going straight through him. And then he puts on the helmet, and it's still hitting it. Like, what was the point? It was so funny. And there, and then, were, there were little sight gags like that that worked, like uh, like the skeleton uh, downing the all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> it's just like that is that is that is on the nose. That is some on-the-nose comedy, but I'm here for it. Uh, and one last thing, and um. The second movie, whenever he jumped off that giant tower, Dracula just sitting there, and they were all watching him fall, saying, no, he's not going to fly. And then I'll the wait. last few seconds, he's like, oh, no, he's not flying. And he just rushes down. That was a, that was a great extended was, comedy. Yeah. Any yes. second now. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> just the, the, the arrogance of Drac just like, it will come. <laughs> and, it's not going to happen. And, and it's like, oh no, maybe I was wrong. <laughs> and it, it's and that again was a perfect melding of Adam Sandler's character work with the voice acting, and again Jindy Tartakovsky's uh, character design and staging. It was just mm -hmm. everything came together to make this work. So um, for those of you out there who maybe looked at the trailers and thought, oh, this doesn't look like it's for me, I would, I would challenge you to watch the first one and not be charmed. The first one is a very mm -hmm. charming animated mm -hmm. film. And if you like the first one, you will like the next two. Um, I don't mean to be like so down on part two because while it's the weakest of the series, it's still a, it's still a fun movie. Um, it's just compared to the other two, it's kind of, uh, it doesn't stick in my brain quite as much. The second one is also worth seeing because Johnny's parents are played by Megan Mullally and John, uh, Nick Offerman. The sec yeah. The second one also has its ups like the um the baby's my first guillotine. Yeah! <laughs> that was, that was great. Yes, and it's like so you lose a finger. And what's so and what's so funny about it is it reminds me a little bit of the tone of um the nineties Adams Family movies. Yeah. Um, which I loved so the, that Barry Sonnenfeld, which again, going going back to a very specific kind of mindset in um in telling stories. Oh, I I love Sonnenfeld. I lo we could we yeah, could we do, could, a whole we could do a whole episode on Sonnenfeld. Sonnenfeld. Uh, 
so good. All right. Well, no, he did. He did uh, Adam's Family. He did, he did Men, the, in Men in Black. He did Pushing Daisies. So that was yeah. those all. There's there's so much love. there that to talk about. Um, well, we are pretty much officially out of time, so I want to wrap things up. But this has been a really, really fun episode. Thank you guys so much for coming in. Make sure to tell everyone if you have anything that you would like to plug for yourselves, be sure to plug it. Or just sign off. It's up to you, really. Um, Do you have anything to (laughs) self-promote? I'm awesome. Yeah! There we go! There we go. That's that's the confidence we like to see from our guests. Yeah, because we're certainly not delivering on that front. No, no, definitely not. Um, once again, thank you for listening to Pop and Schlock Live here on uh, KPFT Houston HD2. Um, again, we are in Pledge Drive. Make sure that uh, if you'd like to continue uh, hearing this program and the many other programs that we have here at KPFT, that you give us a call or go online to donate. The number is 713-526-KPFT. Um, just tell them Pop and Schlock live sent you if you don't make a donation we're just going to do the show with a bullhorn outside your window (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm like i'm just going to attach a microphone uh to a boom box because i still have one of those because i never throw anything away and that's how we're going to continue doing the show um if you want to follow the show you can always uh, check us out on facebook um we are on twitter at pop schlock pod we're on instagram at pop and schlock live um i'm back after being locked out of that instagram account um How did so- get locked out? i do not know but i got locked out so i Are haven't been recorded no i think it was i think it was just a weird like somebody tried to hack in thing oh, and so they mm-hmm. like i had to do it i had to do a reauthorization but i'm back now so Joke's we'll be on him. there's nothing exciting to see i know but we'll be back on instagram uh very very shortly um you can always find uh archived episodes of the show on itunes on spotify stitcher radio google podcasts um, I do believe that there's a drone flying over the Midwest that plays us on constant loop, um, but you can find us uh, on any of those locations. Um, once again, I want to thank everybody for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you Yay! so much. Hold on, where's my PC button? We're professional. I know how to work a mixing board. <laughs>